following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. You know, for uh, decades after I got out of college, I, I had this recurring dream. It's ridiculous. I'd show up to class just a little bit disoriented and uh, confused, and I'd take my seat only to find out that it's the last day of the semester and that I hadn't done any of the studying and hadn't been to any of the classes, and yet I was about to uh, face a test, <laughs> the final. And Anybody else had that dream? Maybe you did or didn't have pants on, right? Is that how that goes? I'm not sure, but... Uh, being faced with a final has never been a joy for me. And, and in that scenario, I was uh, in my dream, I was just mortified. And even with the best of preparation, very few of us would really look forward to tests. Now, there may be a few weirdos out there uh, among us who actually enjoy exams, uh, you academiacs out there. But I'm quite sure that there are hardly any who look forward to the tests that life brings. Tests, trials, hardships, call them what you may, but they all sound like trouble for the soul, don't they? There's no way around tests and trials in this world. The reality is you're you're either coming out of a test or you're in one now or you're headed toward a trial. I know that doesn't sound very encouraging, but it's the reality. And the, But the Lord says in this world there will be many troubles, but behold, I have overcome the world, and uh, I find great encouragement in that. But but what if the trial comes from the Lord when he's the one administering the test? Does that mess with your faith? Do you know how to process that? How could our loving God ask us to go through such hard things by his own hand? What do we do when the Lord allows or, or even brings hardships our, our way? What are we to learn from it? We certainly see an example of this today in Genesis 22, and this is one of the most renowned passages in all of Scripture, and it's the biggest test that Abraham would ever face. So we've been following along in the life of Abraham. Well, today's big idea is this. God, in his wisdom and kindness, tests the faith of his people. God's people are called to respond and trust and obedience, and God has provided all we need. I'll say that again. God, in his wisdom and kindness, tests the faith of his people. And God's people are called to respond in trust and obedience, and God has provided all that we need. Let's stand up today as we read through this passage in Genesis 22. It's a little lengthy, but worth reading. Genesis 22, page number, no, I don't know your page number, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's at the beginning of the book, yeah. Genesis 22, starting with verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering 
on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and will worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, and uh, Abraham said, and here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told them, told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. The Lord will provide as it is said to this day on the Mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn declares the Lord because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, are taken in by this narrative of how you led Abraham and Isaac through this. And God, today, we pray that you would speak to us, grow us, stretch us, help us to see how you are at work, not only in this passage, but in our lives, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, in these previous few chapters of Genesis, we've been watching God's friend Abraham as he walked with the Lord. He left or God's, upon God's promise and uh, that, that God would make a great nation from Abraham's descendants, that God would bless him and all the people of the earth would be blessed through him. He left his homeland on that basis. And over the years, God's promise to Abraham was confirmed and repeated with increasing clarity. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, were barren, but yet God took them out 
underneath the stars, he took Abraham out and said to him, look at the stars if you can count them. And God said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham was amazed. And scripture says that Abraham believed the Lord and the Lord credited to him as righteousness. Abraham really did believe that he and Sarah would have a son. But as we've seen, the faith of Abraham has been up and down, hasn't it? Lying to Abimelech about Sarah, his wife, having a child with Hagar, not trusting God, which brought a lot of domestic misery for years to come, until in chapter 21, where we saw this miraculous birth of Isaac, the long-awaited son of promise. Then the Lord had Abraham send Ishmael away, protecting that promise, and again emphasizing that his promise would be fulfilled through Isaac. This morning, we're looking at this passage that we stop and look at, it. uh, that we ask, how in the world could God ask this of somebody? It just blows our mind to think that Abraham was asked to do what the Lord asked him to do. Well, this morning, we're we're going to look at this familiar passage, and by God's grace, we will learn a few things about tests and about obedience. The first point is this, that the tests of God, that God tests his own. In verse 1, immediately, God, God's word tells us something that Abraham himself was not privy to, and that is that, that God was testing him. This was a test. And not only was it a test, but it was God who was testing Abraham. And when we think about going through a trial or a test, we might think, that uh, we could we could picture our enemy Satan testing us, or perhaps another person who's testing us or trying our patience, putting us to the test. But as we see here, it's the Lord that's testing Abraham. Now, what it does not say is that the Lord is tempting Abraham, and there's a distinct difference between the two. Throughout Scripture, the word that's used for temptation. Uh, means to entice, entice to sin, to draw you or lure you to sin. But the word for a testing or trial in the original language means to put to the test or to prove by trial. Two different meanings. We know in J- that James 1 tells us that no one should say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God because God cannot be tempted to sin, nor does he tempt anyone to evil. But in Genesis 22, we are definitely seeing that trials or tests can come can come from the Lord, even though he would never tempt us. Most definitely, trials and tests can come from him. So we see that God is testing Abraham in order that he might prove him. We see throughout Scripture that it's not just Abraham that God tests or proves. It's a pattern throughout all of Scripture for all of God's people. Uh, Psalm 105 says, the word of the Lord tested Joseph. And David invites the Lord's testing, doesn't he? He says in Psalm 26 and in 139, Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Do you ever ask that of the Lord? The Lord tests each of us, yet when we're the ones going through it, we may feel like we're the exception. And so often our first thought is what? Why me, right? But it's helpful to realize that trials and tests are the normal course for every believer. 
And if Abraham, the father of our faith, was tested by God, why would we not be, right? So let's take a look at why God tests us. Uh, what we read in Genesis 20, 22 seems really excruciating. How can our loving God put Abraham through such a difficult trial? I think that in my life, it has taken much time for the Lord to teach me that his tests are actually good. <laughs> I've had teachers who tested me, and uh, not like my dream, but uh, I've had teachers who test me. No, I may not have believed it at the time. It was actually for my good, at least with most of my teachers, right? And anything an engineer designs, he also tests it. It's, it undergoes what is called a stress test where they test the structural integrity. And aren't you and I glad, glad that they put bridges under stress tests because we drive over them every day? And when training an officer for a police force or the military, it's, it's not known the way the officer will respond in a gunfight until they're in a gunfight. In the Navy, there's they talk about a ship being battle-tested, and on and on. So we know that tests are very familiar in our world. Why does God test us? Well, there's there's multiple verses about God testing the Israelites to see if they love him and will obey his commands. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years that he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. You know what it says right there, to know what was in your heart. You see, when God puts us to the test, it reveals the character qualities that are otherwise hidden beneath the surface. I mean, it, it completely makes sense that when you're squeezed, whatever's inside is what's going to come out, right? Just think about a lemon. Squeeze a lemon, a lemon juice comes out. Squeeze an orange, orange juice comes out. I mean, it completely makes sense. Now, the Lord knows all things, so he knows when we're squeezed what's going to come out. But it's good for us to see, to learn where we are, to learn where we need to grow. And we need, we know that others are going to see it, but also God delights in showing what he, the faith that he has placed inside of us, revealing his work in us. But we need to look and when we're going through trials and see what's exposed and where we need to grow. We're to evaluate as Romans 12.3 says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So the Lord tests us to reveal what's genuine or what's real inside our hearts and our character. But there are many other reasons why he tests us. He tests us so that we can know our need of him. He reminds us just how completely and utterly, utterly helpless we are without him. We're desperate for him. We're fully dependent on him. And God tests us to reveal our fear of him. He tests us so we can better know him. When we go through a trial with God, we learn his consolation in ways that we would never otherwise see or know. God cares for us through it. And and uh, he tests us to see our love for him. But he also tests us because he places such a high value on us. Our growth in faith involves God's testing. So God tests us. Our faith is stretched. 
He grows our faith throughout it. And then in all of this done in his wisdom and his love for us. So when we don't understand, I say that again, when we don't understand, we can know that God is at work. That he's accomplishing something good for you and something that brings glory to him. As we're going through trials, we need to remind ourselves day by day and sometimes even hour by hour, sometimes moment by moment, that the Lord is accomplishing something good in that. When we go into a trial, we can know that if we remain faithful to that trial, through that trial, that we'll come out knowing and loving God and trusting him even more on the other side. And this is what's going on as Genesis 22 begins when it says, after these things, let's just take a moment and remind ourselves when, when scripture says after these things, you look at it and you're like, well, after what things, right? Well, we, if you've been tracking along the last several weeks, we've been walking through this journey of Abraham's life and he was tested in some major areas. If you think about it, he was tested in his possessions when he was asked to leave his land. He was tested in his marriage with Sarah, some failure there. He was tested with children, uh, didn't have children, and then God provided Isaac and with, uh, with sending Ishmael away. I mean, what a trial. And some of these tests he passed, some of them he didn't do so well on. He had God's ish, uh, command to send Ishmael away. He, he uh, had lied to Abimelech regarding Sarah. So God had tested, and then after the Lord's promise to him, Abraham was tested for 25 years to wait for the birth of Isaac. That's a long time. So the Lord had been working on Abraham, growing his faith for many years, and and we see the purpose in God's timing. It's purposeful. We see that God has had Abraham on this journey. He's in in the process known as progressive sanctification. It's this cooperative work of Abraham and the Spirit of God. And if you're a follower of Christ, you also are in that that process. Charles Spurgeon says this. Note here that God did not try Abraham like this at the beginning. It is after these things that God tried Abraham. There was a course of education to prepare him for this great testing time. And the Lord knows how to educate you up to such a point that you can endure it in years to come, what you could not endure today. Just as today he may take you, he may make you to stand firm under a burden which 10 years ago would have crushed you into the dust. After all the tuition that God had given him, after close communion with God, receiving the spirit of God into his soul in rich abundance, after these things, God did test Abraham. Nothing like a Charles Spurgeon quote is there. I'm grateful that the Lord continues to grow me. Are you? You're glad that he continues to grow me. I know that's not what I meant. I meant, are you glad that he continues to grow you? (laughs) I don't know that I will ever love tests while I'm in them, but I have grown to trust that it's God's goodness and his kindness at work to test me. Do you believe that? Timothy Keller said, If we knew what God knows, we would ask exactly what he gives. If we had God's wisdom and his power and his love, 
we would do exactly as God does. So our trials, we trust that he knows and he's doing what's best for us and for his glory. No matter what the trial, and many of them are are present in this room today, James 1 tells us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds, for we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work. Why or how? So that we can be mature and complete in Christ, not lacking anything. It's good for us. God is at work. He's on the move, no matter what you're facing today. Now let's look at this passage, starting verse 2. He said to Abraham, God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell, tell you. Now if you're getting the picture here, a burnt offering is an offering that's completely consumed. And any dad in this room who's picturing this knows that you'd rather lay your own life down in an in an instant than to obey this astonishing command. You can only imagine what this would do to Abraham's heart. This is an excruciating test. So Abraham has a crisis on his hands. On one hand, he has his heavenly father who he loves dearly, the one who's led him and provided for him and made made a covenant with him. He's protected him throughout his life. He's asking him to do the unthinkable. And on the other hand, he has his son, his only son, as Scripture keeps saying, the son of promise, the son he loves. What will he do? How will he respond? Well, Abraham's faith is being tested and to the limit. And as a result of trusting the Lord and obeying him, his faith becomes the supreme example for all of us of what faith looks like. There's no greater example in all of Scripture of faith in Abraham's faith. So that's our second point, is the obedience of God's children. Faith and obedience. Verse 3 says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. This narrative of Abraham's response is just, its when I was reading through this, it's so unassuming. It's, it's shocking. Do you see that? God said, and Abraham went. There's no fanfare. There's no drama here shown in the response of Abraham. There's no indication of how he felt or any sign of complaint or resistance before God. Just obedience. Now, parents, isn't this the kind of obedience that you'd long to see in your own kids? That the more love and trust and discipline that's instilled in your kids over time, the more obedience there will be. And if you're like me, so often I say, I say, well, tell me more and then I'll decide, right? Tell, tell me more. If you'll, if you'll just, God, if you'll just give me a little more information and a little bit more assurance, then, then I'll weigh it out. Decide, do I still want to go that way? Well, notice that 
Abraham just had this straightforward, simple obedience, it seems. And, and notice that God didn't even tell Abraham exactly where to go. But he did tell him to go to the land of Moriah. And I'll tell you more later. Because he obeyed and heading toward Moriah, he was already in a good place to further obey God as he revealed more. There's something we can learn from that. Sometimes the pathway is a little dimmer than other times, and things can seem a little fuzzy. There's not 20-20 vision clarity. We may not understand the trial, but we know our God. What we must do when things aren't, aren't clear, when we're facing a trial, is we remain faithful in the things we do know what to do. We need to stay in God's word. We can know his commands. We can remain faithful to him. We need to be around God's people. We, I, I encourage younger believers as you're walking through trials in life, find, find a seasoned saint who has had some mileage under their belt that's seen some trials, maybe the same trial that you're going through, and, and spend time with them, learn from them. There's some practical things that we do. A lot of times when we start going through the trial, we start pulling back from the things that we know are good for us, that God has brought to us. Let that be an encouragement, an exhortation to us today. So we see that Abraham rose early in the morning. Abraham obeyed immediately, and obedience should always be immediate. In fact, I've, I've heard it, say, it said before that delayed obedience is disobedience. There may be some here today as we've been singing these worship songs and as as we're into God's word here uh, that are feeling a conviction or this tugging in your heart in a particular area where the Lord has been dealing with you, but you're delaying. You put him off, you put him off, and that's disobedience. And the Lord has something so much better for us than that. It'd be good to settle in our hearts and just trust him and just just obey him. And we see that not only is Abraham's obedience immediate, but it's also learned. Just as we spoke about earlier, we see that Abraham's faith had grown. He had learned obedience over time. The Abraham that we met in chapter 12 several weeks ago is not the same Abraham that we see in chapter 22. If you've been walking with the Lord for two years or five years or 10 years or a couple of decades, just think about the changes the Lord has made in your life and thank him. Just praise him, worship him when we see his process of sanctification in our lives. Obedience is learned, and we learn obedience through suffering, and we learn obedience through growing and understanding of God's character. When we, we trust him because he's trustworthy. So you see that obedience is learned. Did you know that the book of Hebrews even says that Jesus learned obedience? Hebrews 5 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, friends, if, if Jesus had to learn obedience, we definitely have to learn obedience. 
I too want to learn obedience. And I just say, oh, Lord, help me. (laughs) Help me submit my will to yours. Not only is Abraham's obedience immediate and learned, but we see also that it's very costly. I mean, think about it. Isaac was Abraham's son, his only son, the son that he loved, God's gift to Abraham, the, the son of promise. The entire redemptive story hung in the balance, tied up in the son Isaac. And then God asked Abraham to worship him by surrendering Isaac back to him. It would have been so easy for Abraham's love of Isaac to overshadow his love of God. To love the gift more than the giver. Obedience always requires sacrifice. I think about the uh, rich young ruler in scripture, the one who approached Jesus and he, he claimed that he had kept all the commandments since his youth, which is kind of funny in itself, isn't it? And then Mark says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It says that that Jesus loved him, but the young ruler walked away from the treasure of Christ and went away sorrowful. He treasured his possessions. He had great possessions, and and apparently these great possessions had him, had his heart. Well, this should definitely not be the case with the child of God, the one who's walking by faith, loving and treasuring Christ above all else. Is that you? And the Lord has a way of getting to the heart of the matter with each one of us, doesn't he? Jesus makes the same demands on us as God did Abraham. When he said in Luke, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And by that passage, what he's saying is in comparison, our our love for our love for God, everything else should just pale in comparison. As, as wonderful as family relationships are, and, and they are a gift from God, they make terrible gods. Did you know that? And, and even loving our own lives should not take place in the heart of a believer. We should be loving Christ even more than our own lives, this passage says. So God's test of Abraham revealed that what was already in his heart I say that again, God's test of Abraham revealed what was already in his heart, the work that God had done, that he loved God more than he loved Isaac. This test was not to put Abraham uh, to find, uh, put him in a place to find fault in him or to set him up for failure. No, this, this was to reveal what God had taught him and the character that God had cultivated in his life through their friendship over many years. And the Lord asks each of us, is there a greater love in your heart? When we see that what what Christ has done for us, the price that he's paid for us, 
how it has benefited us, the promise that we have in him, the hope we have, how could there remain any greater love in our hearts and our love for him? Is, is the sacrifice of worshiping God too great? We should meditate on this, just contemplate it, take some time. But what's your Isaac? Your most valued and treasured gift from God. Will we place our most treasured possessions and our future hope in his hand? Well, we see that Abraham prepared. He headed on a journey, not without great intent and devotion. He says, verse 4 tells us, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took his hand, he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So both of them went together. So Abraham is three days into this journey. He's traveling something like 50 miles. And Abraham is showing that his commitment to obey God is unwavering. There's this perseverance in his heart. With this sacrifice, being so great, I was just thinking if I were in this situation and this journey being so long, there there is plenty of room for error. There's plenty of room for backing out or straying from this commitment. But instead, we see Abraham's extended faithfulness, his long obedience headed in the same direction as we've talked about. This reminds us that surrendering to God is a daily practice. It's not a it's not a one and done and then move on type thing. This is long obedience in the same direction. We surrender to him, trust him, obey him again and again and again. And he rewards us with himself. And he rewards us with assurance of our faith as we do this and a peace that passes under all understanding. And then we can consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. So we know that the testing of our faith develops perseverance. We walk with the Lord in this faith friendship. It's what, it's what Paul calls the fight of faith. So Abraham was unwavering in his obedience. Romans 4, 20 tells us, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Wow. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And in the King James Version, I love it. It says, he staggered not. <laughs> we we see this in Abraham's unwavering commitment, this long obedience and his sacrificial trust of the Lord. And the point is this, when you're going through a trial, if you're going through one right now, know that it's purposeful and it's to prove your character. And the person walking by faith will handle a trial completely differently than someone who is not. When you know the goodness of God, when you know his character, when you know him as your friend, there's such an aroma, a unique, sweet aroma of a believer who's sacrificing, yet remaining faithful, suffering, yet trusting God, who's enduring but praising God. And if you're that person today, don't lose hope. God is at work. Then the following Verses in Genesis 22 contain this 
wonderful conversation between Abraham and Isaac that's that's probably one of the most tender conversations in all of Scripture. Let's look at that starting verse 7. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went on together. Have we ever seen such a faith as the faith of Abraham? Did you notice what Abraham had previously said in verse 5? The boy and I will worship and then come again to you. So he's saying he's the two of them are going to go for this sacrifice, but yet the two of them are coming back. And you're like, was he lying to his servants or how does that work? Because he is definitely obeying God's command, seeing this through. Well, Hebrews tells us what's in Abraham's mind. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises was in fact, was in the act of offering up his only son of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him back from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Wow. You see what just happened here? God gave Abraham the faith to believe that resurrection was possible when there wasn't even in such a thing at that time. That's amazing. Even when there had never been a resurrection in history to suggest this or for him to think about. And so this is the trust of Abraham. And he obeys God because he believes that somehow God, based on his character, will provide. And, and if you think about it, God had miraculously provided Isaac to begin with in assurance of this promise, this covenant that he has with him. And when when we recognize that something's been given by God, we know if he did it once, he can do it again. Somehow, God would provide miraculously again. So Abraham's obedience is not what I would call a blind faith or a blind obedience. Again, we... We trust God because he's trustworthy. Abraham's faith is an informed trust based on his firsthand knowledge and experience of God's character and ability. The way that we grow our faith muscle is to exercise it. We walk with the Lord. We, we learn his commandments. We obey his commands and our, and he empowers us to live out his commands. And then our faith is stretched. And grows. And then we do that over and over. Let's look at verse 9. We'll move more quickly. Don't worry, I'm not going to spend this much time on all of it. Some of you are getting kind of nervous. We're good here. Okay. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an offer there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering 
instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So Abraham has his hand raised. He has the knife in hand, ready to follow through every intent to follow through with the Lord's instructions. And the the faith of Abraham we see is accompanied by his works. True faith produces an amazing work in us. A faith that's genuine is accompanied by action. And James comments on this. James 2, 21 says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. It's true that genuine faith is a faith that goes to work. Abraham's faith had been up and down, but now we see the, at the pinnacle of his faith, his Mount Everest moment with God, as he's completely surrendered to God's will. In a moment, the sacrifice would be done. His hand raised, gripping this knife. You get the picture. But the angel of the Lord says, Abraham, Abraham, stand down, Abraham. Don't lay a hand on him. Can you imagine? Have you ever been through a long and grueling season, excruciating crisis? And then finally you see it come to the end. You see God's grace in it. In an instant, Abraham's burden was lifted. And what did he do? He lifted his eyes from his son, and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. It must have all happened in the same moment. And he went and got the ram, and he sacrificed the burnt offering instead of his son. The whole meaning behind the consummation of the entire burnt offering is is a picture of fully surrendering to the Lord. He has all of us. Both Abraham and Isaac stood there as the ram was consumed. And there's no question that this was their heart. Take our lives. We are yours. Isn't that what we all want in our hearts? Is that what we want our posture to be before God? Whatever you want, Lord, I am yours. Though you slay me, yet I will praise you. And Abraham calls this place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it's said, on the mountaintop of the Lord, it shall be provided. And that's our third point, God provides. God will provide. We see that the Lord who tests is also the God who provides. Earlier, Isaac had asked, where's the lamb for the sacrifice? How would God provide? It's the question that would surface all throughout the Old Testament. Where's the sacrifice? How will God provide a sacrifice? In the garden, when Adam and Eve were hiding from God and trying to clothe themselves with fig leaves, what does God do? He he provides a skin, an animal shed blood to cover their sinful shame. In Exodus, he provides the Passover lamb so the death angel would pass over them. The Passover lamb 
And at the beginning of Leviticus, God sets up, as he's instituting and establishing the sacrificial system for his people, the center of the worship was sacrifice. And Isaac says, the suffering servant of the Lord would be led as a lamb to the slaughter, up to the point the sacrifices, up to, I'm sorry, up to that point, the, the sacrifices atone for sin, but they had never taken away the sin. In fact, Hebrews 10.4 says, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Through the entirety of the Old Testament, God's people were looking forward and asking this question, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And finally, at the beginning of the Gospel of John, we see John the Baptist who sees Jesus himself coming, and he points to him and, and proclaims, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What, the, what God has required, he has provided. He has always provided. So in verse 15, this was such a significant moment that God swore by his own name, because there's nothing greater he could swear by. And again, he confirmed his covenant with Abraham. Verse 15, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven, and he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gate of his enemies, and your offspring shall all of the nations be blessed through him because you've obeyed my voice. Abraham had this promise over and over from God. God's so good to bring us along. <laughs> he, he has to, he's got to be really long patient, uh, long suffering with me. I know Abraham had the initial promise of God in or he had the promise made to him at his first visit to Canaan. Abraham had the promise when Lot took advantage of him. He had the promise that he believed when he's out underneath the stars. He had the promise in the unilateral covenant. Uh, he had the promise when Abraham, when they were given their new names, Abraham and Sarah. He had the promise in the person of Isaac when God gifted them the son. And now God swears by himself, nothing higher he could swear, swear by, that he will keep this covenant. Hebrews 6 says, for when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom he could swear, he swore by himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus, Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained promise. Friends, did God keep his promise with Abraham to bless all the nations through his offspring? Did he keep his covenant? Yes, he did. For many years later, on the same, these same mountains in Jerusalem, there will be a similar scene. The father led his son, his only son, into Jerusalem. He led him up Mount Moriah. Jesus knew it was time. Even as the lambs for the Passover were being prepared for sacrifices, the wood was placed on his shoulders of the sacrifice. The fire in the hands of the father on the mount where God provides. And just like Abraham had raised his hand to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son of promise who he loves, God the father also did. 
He gave his son, his only son, his only begotten son. Only this time, there was no one to stand in the way of the father's wrath. There was no ram in the thicket. And the father poured out his wrath on the son against his own precious son. Christ's blood, the spotless lamb, was spilled out, fulfilling the promise. All the promises in Christ are yes and amen. Jesus says in John that Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Abraham saw that day. And the encouragement to all of us is this. God always keeps his promises. Jesus is the provision of the Lord. What God required is also provided in Christ. Praise the Lord. Jesus was tested and he passed the test on our behalf. He he passed the test that we could never pass. He lived the sinless life. He was crucified. He was buried and he rose again. And because of his trust and his obedience to his father, his death has earned for us everlasting life. Place your trust in him today. Let's pray. The Lord is so kind to test us, to reveal what's in our hearts, what's genuine, what's real. And if you've not yet trusted him as your Savior, turn your eyes from your sin, turn your heart from your sin, and place your trust in him today. This righteous God requires righteousness, and he provided Christ on our behalf who took our sins on himself. Only he can save Trust him. He is trustworthy. Trust him with your life for eternity today. For the child of God, God, there may be many here where there's something in your life uh, that you're clinging to, that you're loving and treasuring more than Christ. It's a good time to just commit to the Lord. I'm done with this. Lord, I want to love you most. I treasure you above all things. Is there an Isaac in your life? Lay it down. Trust him through his word. Or maybe maybe you've been facing a test in your life. Uh, lean into the Lord today. See, see your need for his comfort. Remain faithful in the things you already know to do. Just trust and worship him. This sacrifice of sweet praise before him. Lord God, we need you. Uh, we ask that you work in our hearts. This passage, God, may it... Uh, take root in our hearts and bear fruit for your name, for your glory, for our good, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.